you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode number seven. So the big question is this, how do parents like us know that we aren't messing up the biggest role of our lives, especially when we happen to have a strong-willed child that's constantly pushing our buttons? We've all heard that kids don't come with a manual, so how can we know for sure that we're saying the right things or that we're getting this parenting thing right? Well, on this podcast for parents of toddlers to teens, we'll be giving you real tools you can use right away so that your kids will feel like they can talk to you about absolutely anything and everything. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast, where we believe when your thoughts grow, the conversations in your home flow. Hi, you guys. Welcome to episode number seven. I'm sort of doing an impromptu episode. I'm recording this because I saw a documentary last night called Screenagers. So I'm going to do this in a little bit of a different format where I probably just kind of talk off the cuff and uh, have just maybe some random thoughts and some suggestions about technology and what's going on with our kids, what's going on with our world with technology. I know this is at the forefront of all of our minds. And um I had really been wanting to see this documentary. Somebody had sent me uh, information on it a few months ago, a friend of mine who's a coach in New York. And um, you can only see this documentary through private screening. So what's happening is it's kind of like Race to Nowhere a few years ago. Like there's private screenings popping up at private schools and different organizations. So I had talked to my kid's school about possibly bringing it to the school and um, – And I just felt like it was really important. And the counselor said, yes, technology is at the forefront of everyone's mind right now. And then I was contacted by another school in my city asking if I would be on a panel and that they were going to be hosting a screening. I said, sure. I mean, really, mostly I love being on panels, but mostly I really wanted to see this documentary. So I see it last night and then we have a panel discussion, which is super fun because it's just fun to like collaborate and they always mix a variety of people. And um, there were two people on the panel that kind of represented the safety piece. Um, there was somebody in law enforcement. There was a, a, a somebody who works for an organization called Crime Stoppers. And Houston's a big, this is so disturbing, but it's a big human trafficking uh, city, like one of the biggest. And so they had a lot of disturbing information about predatorial behavior and um, 
and just how scary it all is. And, you know, all about putting the safety restraints and, and watching what your kids online, um, what their online activity is and really kind of think, keeping your finger on the pulse of it. And then the school counselor who I thought was great. And then there was also the technology guy that worked for the school. And then there was also a senior in high school kid who goes to like the most academically rigorous private school here in Houston. He was adorable and he was really interesting. He was quite a storyteller and his name was Michael. And he talked about that. He's like, let me just set this up. He plays varsity sports in three different sports. So he's like a total overachiever. And he got into this school, St. John's, and it didn't sound like he had gone to St. John's his whole life. So I think he was like a straight A-plus student. And he said in seventh grade, he got hooked on a game. And I can't remember the name of it, but it's basically what he said was it's similar to to Fortnite, which Fortnite is kind of all the rage right now with middle school on up boys. And he said what he did was he could play it on his computer and he could play it on his phone. And he, I mean, he goes to the most academically rigorous high school and middle school. And he said he played that game for seven hours a day in class because, you know, nowadays they have their computers and the technology in class and the teachers can't see what's going on on everyone's screen. So he just act like he was doing work like everyone else, but he was really playing the game all day, every day to the point that then he would go hole up in the library at lunch. And he said he, there was an intervention by one of his close friends that happened when he was in 10th grade. So really three years of his life, I think he said it was like, he, he calculated it. It was like over 2,000 hours um, were logged just based on the level that he was at. And um, one of his friends intervened and, and was like, you've got a problem. Like, seriously, you've got a real problem. So his, he ended up ha- giving the friend, they ch- the friend like changed his password and they did this whole thing. Anyway, he's overcome the addiction and now he's speaking about it. And he said the way he, he really overcame it, I think in the last year and a half he's overcome it. He said he rarely brings a computer to school. It's just too tempting. And it's like he recognizes that his teenage brain is at the most impulsive time in his life. And that's the thing that I think is so interesting is what came from this documentary for me was they they showed a lot of the science about how unhealthy all of this technology is for our kids developing brains when it's abused and during the 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 early years when our subconscious programming in the first seven years that's when the subconscious programming is taking root and that's when our brain is in a state of theta when we are giving our kids these screens and letting them be used as a babysitter, TV or screens, okay? So this is iPads, your phone, TV. And I don't say this in a shaming way because I've been just as guilty as the next person and I struggle with this stuff in my personal life too. I mean, I was sitting there watching this documentary, frankly, with a pit in my stomach, very worried about my daughter, Avery, because... She loves to binge watch shows on Netflix. 
She um, loves to play computer games. Like I'm not a I'm not a gamer, but she's a total ADHD brain, like shiny object. And, um, and she does, she loves her screens. We're constantly having to monitor it. But I was, when he said he sits at school and, and would play for seven hours, Michael, I was sitting there going, I wonder if Avery's doing that. So, um, so I am right there with you, but during the first seven years of life, you guys, this is when our kids get hardwired. So when we're letting the screens babysit them, because look, it's tiring and it's exhausting. And especially once the kids are in the cycle of screen addiction, when they're not on a screen, they're more intense and more challenging. And the only time we get relief is when they're on a screen. And so that's why it can become this vicious cycle very easily. Um, but it literally hardwires them for addiction because what what the neuroscientists are finding is that it's it, it increases the dopamine levels like when you see when they're playing these games or looking at a screen or you know or all these kinds of um flashes of light are happening and there's these little reward centers that are um being activated in their brain they get this heightened form of pleasure that we don't get as humans otherwise. So it wires our kids' brains to expect this heightened form of pleasure, which you can't get that heightened form of pleasure in your just day-to-day typical interactions that normally kids get, like through accomplishing a task or... Um, and playing with a friend or winning at Candyland or magical thinking and getting losing track of time in your magical thinking as you create a whole imaginary world and or building with Legos and then getting to sit and look at your accomplishment. Like all of those things give us a natural dopamine hit and a sense of pleasure. But when our kids' brains are hardwired by these video games or these screens or constantly, you know, watching television, their reward centers, their pleasure centers get off kilter and off balance. And that's where we hardwire them for addiction. So there was a decent amount of education in the documentary that makes that argument, which I already knew that argument. So it was just validating to kind of hear this presented in this way in a documentary and I was happy about it because I was like okay more people are going to get access to this information and then what became obvious is we haven't created the laws and the rules and the ways around this addiction this this addictive behavior to kind of help keep it under control it was kind of reminding me of like it felt like it's almost like we're the 1970s and the and the screens are cigarettes. So like in the 1970s, the laws were much looser around cigarettes. You could smoke inside. I think any, but I think you didn't have to be a certain age, or maybe you only had to be like 13 to buy them. And as the research came in and times caught up, what's happened? Like cigarettes, yes, they're still they're still legal. 
And there's a lot of rules and regulations around them. Like now it's unheard of for people to smoke inside. And um, you don't see people like driving typically and smoking in the car with their kids. Or I think you have to be like 18 to buy them and they've made them really expensive. So there's all these rules and laws that are surrounding it to kind of help keep people in check. Because what we know about anything that's addictive is that people need help. It isn't just a choice. Once the addiction takes over in your brain and body, it's like you will do anything for the fix. And so the argument of it's just a choice, how can people be so dumb to to make that choice? And it's like once the addiction takes root, it is no choice. It's the same thing with sugar. So if we're hardwiring our kids for this addiction, and then the conversations in the households all over, you know, our country, I'm sure the world, wherever technology is available, is like kind of shaming our kids for being addicted to the technology when we've actually hardwired. It's like we've handed them the pack of cigarettes starting at the age of two. And then when they're chain smoking at 10, we're like, how could you be so irresponsible about your health? This is ridiculous. Children should not be smoking. But we handed them the pack of cigarettes, right? And we were like, well, it was just one or two a day. We didn't think it was going to, it was going to harm them for life. And so that's the vicious cycle that we're in. And yes, I believe that schools and, um, and all, everything is going to catch up and there's going to be more, um, there's going to be more rules and regulations. I know that, uh, that right now, the lobbyists are really fighting against the regulations and, you know, the lobbyists that are working for the technology companies. So, it, I mean, it's really hard to find. Like, even I remember researching for my oldest son, who's now 20, when he got his cell phone in sixth grade. Like, how do you monitor all this online use? And it was very difficult to find the technology that you put on their phones and to figure out how to do it. And I know that that has improved in the last few years a lot. But yeah, so things haven't caught up with what the problem is yet. And I believe that they're coming, but we have to all start becoming aware and having these conversations and decide how we're going to handle it so that we can keep our kids safe. And so, uh, so, so some of the things that kind of stood out to me in the documentary last night was the mom who is a doctor and who was the documentarian here. She really films her struggle with her daughter, her 13 year old daughter, first 12. And then she turned 13 with wanting a smartphone and she filmed the conversations and the, and the daughter was adorable and these difficult conversations. But one thing I noticed was that the daughter was really frustrated with the mom and the mom was sitting down to have these conversations, but she wasn't really leading the conversation and she was frustrated and she was like reluctantly giving her kid the cell phone, but she wasn't coming into those conversations with a plan of action. And the, and then the kid would be super frustrated and kind of plead her case and why she should just have unlimited cell phone usage, which every kid's going to do like they don't have a, they don't have a fully developed brain. 
All they know is that they want to be relevant socially and that everyone is on their phones and that it takes away a lot of awkward moments because you always look busy and you're always looking down at your phone and it makes you socially relevant and um, and it's this big form of kind of social currency. So, so what's the most important thing to a middle school kid? It's to belong, to be part of a community, to be socially relevant. So they're going to lobby and plead their case no matter what, no matter how many times we tell them this is not healthy for your brain, yada, yada, yada. Okay. So the mom would go and sit down and have these conversations with her kid, but she didn't know how to guide the conversation. She didn't come in with a plan. And she was kind of looking to her kid to help her figure this out when what the kid really needs in that moment is the mom to be a pack leader and to be like, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to run this conversation and then you're going to take part in it. I'm going to set the rules and the parameters and you're going to weigh in and there are going to be some aspects that we figure out together, but don't worry. I got this. I'm the adult. I've thought about this ahead of time and I am going to run this meeting and there will be a clear direction and you can feel grounded and safe in the world because I'm going to run the show here. The mom didn't do that. And so I want to say what I keep saying is, you know, what is parenting? Adopting a set of rules, repeating it often, repeating those rules often, and then following through consistently. We have to decide on that for our kids when it comes to technology. We have to get clear on what the rules are. Then we have to model it. They've done all these studies and surveys of kids and technology. And one of the main things that have come out of it is the parents aren't practicing what they preach. So we're attacking them when they're addicted to the technology and they're choosing their technology over being with us. But what they're noticing is that we're constantly on our phones. I mean, I know that my son, my youngest son, has totally called me out on this, which is which has been awesome because, you know, before he got the cell phone, which was just last year, and even now, you know, he hears, he knows what our technology rules are. He hears them repeated often. He's seen for years and years us following through consistently with his older brother and sister. So he'd come home from school and he knows the way it's typically done is from the time he gets home from school until, you know, around eight o'clock bedtime, that's our time together. Like one of our main technology rules is people before technology. He hears me say it over and over and over again to the kids. Like there's no phones in the car. Like you're not on your phone in the car. If, I, if the driver can't be on the phone in the car, because I'm not a chauffeur, I'm a mom and we're a family and I'm, I haven't been hired to just drive you. I'm not an Uber driver. So if I can't be on the phone texting and driving, you can't be on the phone either. People before technology. There's no phones at the dinner table. People before technology. When I see a bunch of teenagers sitting around with their heads in the phone, I'm the first one to say, oh, really? Are we socializing? Are we socializing? My kids know I'm going to say it. Yes, when they were younger, it was mortifying, and they told me I was weird and embarrassing. And I said, I get it. I know I'm weird and embarrassing. And, um, and how many of your friends think that I'm like totally weird and embarrassing? And they kind of get stumped because, look, kids are smart. And my kids' friends know that 
I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not somebody who gets on a soapbox and, and preaches about things. I know all of them. I talk to them like they're real people. They respect me. I respect them. So just because I'm not scared to say whatever my crazy rules are and all my little ism phrases, um, the kids, the, the friends don't judge me for it and I know it. And so I just stand firm. I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's weird. It's embarrassing when I say these things, I'm going to continue to do it because it's people before technology. The more you guys hear that, the more I say it, we all are reminded of that. We're all in this together. But I thought it was interesting in the documentary, how a, the conversations between her and her kid, they were frustrating to watch. And I understood why her daughter was frustrated. And it was because mom didn't come into the conversation already feeling clear and understanding what rules she wanted to adopt when it came to technology. So she didn't even know how to state those rules, repeat them often and follow through consistently. She was kind of looking to her child to help establish the rules. Well, her child has a different agenda. Her child's like, I just want to be socially relevant and belong to a community because that's a primal need that I need met. And as a middle school teenage girl, that's my number one priority. Like I don't, I don't want to follow any rules. So in those moments, she really needed her mom to state what the rules were and the why behind them. Okay. The why behind the rules. There was a, a boy who was featured, a family that was featured. It was really powerful in the documentary who, who was a, like a 4.0 student. He ended up failing out his first year of college and they, I mean, his first semester and he ended up having to go to a rehab for technology addiction. And they, and they, they documented, you know, what had happened. And he said, you know, first I was up to one o'clock in the morning and then it was three o'clock in the morning and then it was five o'clock in the morning. And then I just couldn't sleep and all I could do was game. And then I had a paper due and I decided to blow off the paper. And, um, his brain was finding every reason available to justify why the gaming should come before his responsibilities. And that's what addiction does. It convinces you of something, that the addiction becomes your best friend and it takes over. And the mom said when she got to him, he was like a skeletal version of her son. And he said when he went to the rehab, the first two weeks were totally hell, detoxing. But like on week three, he started to reconnect with things that he had totally forgotten about and, um, you know, music and, and playing piano and connecting with other people and like planting things in nature and just all kinds of basic things that he had lost sight of because he had been so addicted to the gaming. I really felt like this was powerful. I really felt like it was educational. And what I want to give you guys today is, is this, when it comes to technology with your little tiny children, if they have been hardwired to be addicted to screens and they are showing up with ADHD symptoms, having trouble sleeping and acting really intense I want you to know, chances are when you go to the diagnosticians and the Western doctors and even talk to the people at school, no one is asking about their screen usage. No one is asking about how much sleep they're getting at night. And before 
you go to all the traditional measures, I invite you to look at the reality of what is going on and to be willing to go through a detox process. It is never too late to turn it around. And as far as having that hard conversation to turn it around, I want to give you a few pointers. You're going to think about this ahead of time. Talk with your co-parent. You guys are going to adopt a set of rules. Like I said, people before technology, there's no phones in cars. There's no phones at the dinner table. Um, we always had a rule where if they were on the Xbox or playing a computer game, they got a certain amount of time a day, and it was like 30 minutes on a weekday and more on a weekend. But it could only be done in 30-minute allotments. And I set it up where they had to set the kitchen timer for 30 minutes. And if I ever came down and saw them on some form of a screen and the kitchen timer wasn't counting down so they had to self-monitor and it wasn't counting down they automatically lost their time for that day and they could try again tomorrow there was no arguing about it when I'd see them on the Xbox and the kitchen I'd say oh the kitchen timers not counting down you forgot to set it okay you're off today you can try again tomorrow there was no arguing about it the first several times they were like wait no uh, and I was like look it has to be impactful to your brain or you'll always forget this we're doing this to keep your brain safe and healthy and so it has to be impactful you losing your time today when you really want to play it's going to make an impact in your brain you're going to remember to set it tomorrow I'm doing this because I love you too much not to that's the script I'm trying to keep your brain safe and healthy. We need it to make an impact. You've lost your time for today. You can try again tomorrow. That's you explaining the why behind it, and that's the rule. So you adopt the set of rules that make sense for you. Figure out. I mean, if it's if your mornings are nuts, there's no TV or technology in the morning, period, end of story. On weekday mornings, it's not an option. If you want to let them have 30 minutes, you know, you're not going to do it right before bedtime. So the time is, is like, when does it work for you? Is it when you're making dinner that you want to let them have 30 minutes or an hour for younger kids, like where they watch a Disney movie or do something like that um, while you're making dinner? Okay, from five to six, that's your time to watch. Like figure out what your rules are, okay? You and your co-parent figure that out. You repeat them often. And then you have to follow through consistently, like you have to follow through consistently. And I would say they talk about this in the documentary um, about doing some kind of a tech contract before you give your kids a cell phone around, you know, middle school age that I think that's the typical time to do it before middle school. It's too young. Do not give your kids cell phones before middle school. But during middle school, if you decide to give your kids a cell phone, do your homework, have a technology contract. And it was funny that the school counselor at our talk, she was like, you know, I don't know about this tech contract. It's like they're so excited about it. And then you kind of, I think it was the school counselor or one of the panelists. And then you kind of squash their enthusiasm. And I totally disagreed with that. Like, you've got them. They're a captive audience. They're about to get this thing. This is when you establish all the boundaries and parameters and you have that contract. And you say, with this cell phone comes big responsibilities. The reason it's a big responsibility is because it's real easy to get addicted to these things. It's real easy to get um, in a scary situation with somebody that is a bad guy lurking online. We have all of these rules in place to keep you safe and healthy, period, end of story. These are non-negotiables. And you go over it and you sign it and you have it. the contract's not being followed, what the consequences are. 
they lose it for a certain amount of time until they can remember to be responsible again, then that's what you do. And so remember, you're going to have to repeat. It's not going to be on autopilot. Like I still, with my 16-year-old daughter, I have to get my butt out of bed every night when I'm relaxing at 9.30 and walk to her room and make sure that all her stuff is plugged in out in the hallway. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but there's so many nights I was saying on the panel last night, I said, there's so many nights that me and my husband are like rock, paper, scissoring about who, which tired middle-aged person has to get out of the bed to walk 10 steps and look and make sure her stuff's plugged in. That's us following through consistently. If it's not plugged in at 9:30, I'm going into her room. I'm finding out why if she's doing homework, the rule is, is she's got to keep her door open. She needs to let us know. She needs to keep her computer in there later than normal because she's got extra homework to do. Like, And we have to follow through on that. Or things start to slip because everyone's human. And our kids are impulsive teenagers. And their brains love this technology. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. It just means that we, the adults with the fully developed brains have to model the rules that we want them to fo to follow and we have to follow through consistently with them and ourselves. So um, this is a big conversation. I know this is at the forefront of all of our minds. I know many of us fall off the rails at times and then it's just about getting back on that horse, back on that horse and being willing to have these hard conversations. I want you guys to remember you're going to have these hard conversations and you're going to establish the rules and repeat them often. And you want to do it at a non-relevant time when they're in the moment and you're grabbing something away because all of a sudden you realize they've been on their screen or their game for three hours. And then all of a sudden you decide to go over what all the rules and parameters and all that and have this conversation. It's going to fall on deaf ears and it's going to end in a giant argument and power struggle and no one's going to learn anything and you guys are just going to be on opposing teams. So remember, have these conversations not in those moments. You want to have them when the moment has lifted and you come back to it and that's when you discuss it. You're going to, you're going to repeat your rules often. You're not going to make anyone wrong. You're just going to repeat them and you're going to follow through consistently with whatever the consequences are. I hope this was helpful. I know it's a, this is a 30 minute podcast today, but I really feel like this is such a relevant topic and I wanted to give you guys some practical solutions. So I, I hope you enjoyed it and would love to hear from you and until next week. Bye-bye. At Mastermind Parenting, we believe when your thoughts grow, the conversations in your home flow. And if this sounds like something you want to learn more about, then I have a gift for you. You can grab a copy of my best-selling book, The Parent Gap. It's my signature recipe for raising confident and kind kids, even if you have a strong-willed one. So go to mastermindparenting.com forward slash book to get your free copy mailed directly to your doorstep.